This is Eve's on the Move. I'm Cynthia Sharp, class of 1994, uh, she, her for pronouns, and you are in beautiful scenic Overland Park, Kansas. Great, thank you so much. So we're gonna start with just a bit of an icebreaker question, um, and that is, do you have any personal projects or hobbies you've picked up within the past couple years that you'd be interested in sharing with people? Um, uh, I stab things for fun. Uh, I actually fenced when I was at Williams, but my knees and my wrists will not allow me to continue doing that. I knit, I embroider. Um, last year with COVID and no longer being on planes all the time, I finally had the opportunity to kick my vegetable garden into high gear. I have a teenager and we cook together a lot. So it's this weird sort of like domestic sphere out here on the prairie for fun and relaxation. Oh, and I video game an awful lot. Okay, one, we have like three people talk about knitting, so it's a very popular one. We gotta start like a Williams Knitting Club, really. Um, two, there is actually an Eve's Knitting group on Facebook. Oh, perfect, yeah. even better. Uh, two, what video games do you play? Because I also play a lot of video games. Warcraft. Ooh, nice. <laughs> I've never gotten into WoW, but that's that's awesome. Um, yeah, that's that's so cool. We actually talked to someone who's very into D and D, so like getting, nice. getting lots, lots of that representation. Used, used to be big into D and D. Husband and I were uh, raid lead and guild master in a uh, highly highly ranked guild for a long time. And it was like, ooh, career, family. This is not great with a four year old. No, no, no. So now it's just the gentle soothing, going on to wow and punking something or going on to Knights of the Old Republic and force lightning or force choking things when it's been a bad day. It's good for the soul. Very, very good releases right there. <laughs> um, so shifting gears a little bit, uh, could you talk to us a little bit about what it is you do for work and how that connects to your identity, either as like you personally or your Williams experience or anything like that? Um, I have a really weird job. The short version is... I make museums and theme parks for a living. Um, the longer version is I'm a principal in an experience design firm uh, called Think All Group, which is headquartered in Los Angeles. Um, I've never lived in California. I've always telecommuted for everybody who has been forced to work from home during COVID. I'm so sorry. Welcome to my own personal hell. Um, we connect people with stories in physical places, you know, with stories, with brands, with intellectual properties. So we design everything from museum exhibits to entire new museums, to individual rides, to whole zones or lands or entire theme parks. I've worked on giant, giant cultural events like the upcoming World Expo 2020, which is now obviously opening in 2021, unfortunately, um, and on planning for the London Olympics um, and other big cultural events like that. But we also work on B2B centers. Google is one of our biggest clients and probably one of my most overwhelmingly terrifying clients. Um, so I, I'm a creative director. I work in words, not art. I'm not allowed to draw. I, I even managed to screw up stick figures. Um, but I'm a creative director and an executive in the company. So I do all kinds of research and creative writing, everything from what's the big idea to actually scripting shows. Um, if you've ever been to a theme park and there are people romping around in weird costumes, singing songs and dancing, 
I write those too, um, to label copy on museums, exhibits, and everything in between. That's awesome. Is there a specific project that you are most proud of or you had the most fun working on? Okay, so those are two different questions. Yeah, yeah I mean, you can pick either <laughs> one Those are two different ones. Every project has its ups and downs, and even the most fun ones, there are days where it's like, if I have to look at another 200-page matrix, I'm going to lose my mind. Um, and a Williams education is really, really helpful in terms of synthesizing just the sheer volume of information that we have to deal with and, and figuring out connections between ideas. Um, I worked on the Warner Brothers uh, Movie Studios Presents the Making of Harry Potter, that big Harry Potter experience outside London in Leavesden in the United Kingdom. Uh, Worked on that and just soaking in Harry Potter for years and years and years and years. It's a pretty sweet gig. Um, Project I'm most proud of is probably Nature Quest at the Fern Bank in Atlanta, Georgia formerly Fernbank Museum of Natural History, they've renamed, and that is an immersive children's exhibit um, that um, shows, it's about the natural history of Georgia, and it pretty much does it without words. And nothing in there is a win-lose condition. It is a completely open-ended, explorable space so that any kid, regardless of background, knowledge, comfort with the natural world, ability, can go in there and have a great time. Um, And so that was a really fantastic project to work on. I'm still really proud of it, like 15 years later. Yeah, that sounds like, both of those sound like a lot of fun. And the latter one definitely sounds like it has a huge impact on community engagement. I mean, thinking about accessibility and way you can reach, you know, different demographics mm-hmm. is, is super important, particularly, you know, nowadays as a lot of those conversations are more front and center. So thank you for all of that really great work. Um, and it actually segues pretty well into the next question, which is how do you engage with your local community? Um, and that can be however you define it as, you know, the, the local town, family, anything like that. Um, I'm actually going to define local on like two different levels. There's the physical and proximal level here. But then there's the quote-unquote local level in my industry um, because I occupy a really weird niche there. Um, Locally, I'm a mentor for uh, first FRC Robotics Team 1939, the Um, So I work with a number of high school students in particular um, on their robotics effort every year. And I focus on communication, presentation, professionalism, how do, you, how do you take extraordinarily complex topics and talk about them to other people? Which is, is if you think about it, it's what museums do all the time. Um, so I work with a team in that regard uh, and also act as a mentor to them in terms of like, welcome to college applications and it's okay. You know, I know that everything feels big and terrifying and scary right now. And really you're all badasses. You're gonna get in somewhere, it's gonna be fine. Um, so I volunteer a lot with them. I volunteer at the local art museum, the Nelson Atkins Art Museum, pre-COVID. <laughs> looking forward to getting back to that. Um, But a lot of my volunteer work is around breaking down barriers, Um, particularly in the museum world. Museums are white spaces. You know, they're the collections stem from conquering. Our curators are white. Museum boards are overwhelmingly white. Senior staff decision makers are overwhelmingly white. These are spaces which are generally not welcoming, no matter how much they say, everyone is welcome here and we do all these events for the community. Generally speaking, they're not welcoming places either to 
the variety of people who work within their structures, you know, and inside their walls, or the communities in which they reside. Um, and similarly, a lot of um, opportunities for kids are really sort of, there's a chokehold on them in terms of STEM, you know, like who has access to the best schools, who has access to uh, you know, the, the schools that can even afford to host a robotics team kind of thing. So a lot of my volunteer work is uh, focused on breaking down those barriers, not only locally, but also in terms of like my local uh, work life community. Um, I am one of those people in the, it's called the themed entertainment industry is sort of the umbrella term for all of those different spaces that um, I work in. Um, I am one of those people in the themed entertainment industry who for several years has been getting up on stages going, hey, um, we have a problem. <laughs> you have a problem. Our spaces are not welcoming. The heroes are always white. The bad guy is always a dude of color. Let's consider this, you know, kind of thing. Um, and so I do an awful lot of volunteer work, mentoring and purposely not mentoring students coming out of the universities that have the well-established programs already, um, but doing outreach to programs that do not already have the engine in place. Um, Walt Disney Imagineering has a booth at um, the first robotics world championships every year for a very specific reason, which is the people who see a place for themselves as Imagineers are the kids whose parents could afford to take them to Disney World as children, which means you're consistently getting, you know, upper class, white, privileged people being like, I can afford to be like, I know what, it, I, I know Imagineering's a job. I can afford to go to the kind of school that can get me there. I can afford to take poorly paid internships at these other places to make myself look better as an applicant to Imagineering. And so they don't get like, WDI was really well aware that they were not getting the diversity of life experience and thought and stuff like that. So they started really actively recruiting in a variety of different ways. And one of them was volunteering actually at first so that kids of all stripes from all different size communities and backgrounds could see, no, this is a job. Um, so I do a lot of that kind of work as well through a variety of industry organizations trying to break down barriers to access um, into the industry. Wow, that's, that's a lot of really cool, impressive and meaningful work. Thank you for all of that. As as someone from a historically underrepresented background, I definitely like appreciate that that type of mentorship and connection. Um, so, on behalf of everyone that you've mentored so far, thank you very much. It definitely means I get a lot. A, I get a lot more out of it, I think, sometimes than the people I'm working with. Um, it, but yeah, it's it it's a responsibility. It's I am privileged enough to have the background I do. So I have to do this work. It's not a choice. It's incumbent on everyone who's at like my position in the industry. We've made it. Um, Deb Holland, when she um, was, uh, when she took the oath of office into the US House of Representatives, made reference to her job was not just to climb the ladder, but to then reach her hand back and help up the next generation. That is how I view it. 
thank you very much for all of that work. It's it's really impressive and meaningful and just really cool to hear about. Um, and a lot of a lot of that connection, I think, is is really what you know. A lot of the themes around you know privilege and accessibility are ones that the college itself is really reconciling. <laughs> so pivoting a little bit. Um, really tying this back to sort of the the experience from the Purple Valley. Um, are there any experiences or, you know, classes, professors, anything like that from your time mm -hmm. at Williams that have had any big impact on sort of how you view the world, how you carry yourself in your work or personal space? Um, <laughs> since I was a biology major, not too many in my, <laughs> in, in my actual major. Um, I want, I'm could get the name wrong and I feel really really bad I want to say Michael Brown uh, and stories and storytellers which was cross-listed anthropology and sociology um, and it was you know <laughs> I have enough gray hair you can probably tell I was of an era where my high school reading list was almost entirely dead white guys like the, oh, and we're going to have you read Cry the Beloved Country there we go, we're good, you know, and you know oh, and my Antonia, okay you know, everybody else is a dead white guy. Um, and Stories and Storytellers was really the first time that it was like, let's talk about who tells the stories. Let's talk about who co-ops the stories. Let's tell, let's talk about you. Um, and that was sort of like, oh, oh, holy, oh, that's a thing. Uh, okay, not everybody's a dead white guy. Got it. Um, so that was really like wake up call. At the time I was at Williams, it was the distribution requirement. And then you had to take one class that counted as not about a dead white guy. Um, and so that, I can't remember what they called it, the, just the name for that distribution requirement. But I took China Imagined and Perceived, which was really fantastic because it was this here's what was really going on. Here's literature and art of the time from China by Chinese artists and intellectuals. And here's what white Westerners were imagining what China was like and having that just absolute no holds barred. Let's actually talk about how much our understanding of China and Chinese culture has been shaped by people who have very little to actually genuinely do with China um, was also really, really revelatory. But also I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Tandeika and uh, even the snake. Why did the serpent speak to the woman and not to the man? Which is a class that I got a, to use the technical term, metric crap ton of grief from my father about taking. He was like, I'm paying how much for you to take this and not a nice econ class? I was like, it's more interesting than econ, dad. I'm really sorry, but I'm not sorry at all. Um, Even the Snake was, was another one of those decenter yourself kinds of classes and coming out of a very stereotypical high achieving public high school in the Northern suburbs of Chicago white kids like me were always centered. Um, and that trio of classes was really, really fundamental and sort of shaking loose that, you know, all teenagers, many, many teenagers are very self-absorbed, but really fundamental and shaking loose that. And then, you know, just something as simple as 
keeping up with the reading load is so imp- like the skills that just the plain old ability to keep up with a reading load and make connections between that 300 page thing you read on week two and the 700 page thing you're reading now on week 10 absolutely fundamental to what i do every day thank you very much that that's really powerful um coursework that has had lots of impacts on how you see the world and how stories are are told um and that that type of awareness and understanding is becoming more and more important as we think about you know how people connect with one another um so thank you for sharing that we've got two more questions for you all right um the first one is pretty weird and abstract and that's what brings you joy Oof. Growth where once there was no path. Um, when, when the sidewalk cracks and the flower breaks through, and whether that is metaphor, like that sense, or taking a structure that previously was rigid and unyielding and whether it's through meticulously helping the people who power that structure pick it apart and grow to a better space or lobbing a freaking grenade at the structure and being like look we've cleared the land now um growth and transformation where once those avenues had been closed off is is bone deep satisfying um you're going to get to experience the weirdness at my dinner table um the relationship my husband and i have with our kid and just the no holds barred wacky whip smart fast with a quip who can come up with the most ridiculous arcane reference the fastest and can you keep up um i'm gonna miss the hell out of that come late august when it's off to college for them so that brings me joy too well it looks like i'll have to try my best to keep up we're usually pretty witty with this one um so we'll, we'll see if i'm able to keep up i have well. i have caffeinated beverages if necessary so we might need that for when we hit the road <laughs> <laughs> um so thank you very much. It's a lot of really fun, both fun and meaningful, um, especially that whole dismantling narrative. Um, I, I, think, I think there's a lot of that that's sort of a reckoning at this point nationally. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's very, very timely. Um, but also super, super meaningful to hear people, you know, really championing that experience is something that truly brings joy um, because, you know, most often it's sort of a means to that and not necessarily something that is as visceral as you um, seem to experience it. So thank you very much for sharing that and for all your work to supporting that change. Um, it's really, really meaningful. And so the very last question um, brings into the theme of gratitude. Mm-hmm. And that is, if you could write a thank you note to anyone, who would it be to and what would it say? Mm. I try to actually thank people regularly. So I'm like doing the, who have I not thanked sufficiently? Who who do I need to throw the props out to that I haven't uh, enough? Probably LaTanya Autry, who is a museum professional. She's one of the forces behind Museums Are Not Neutral. 
and she pulled together and continues to pull together a open source resource manual, essentially, for people involved in the cultural attractions, museums, zoos, aquariums, big cultural events, what have you, um, world on um, social justice and transformation and anti-racism and, you know, all of the things that we are, there have been people, particularly black women, doing the work for a really long time and a lot of people are much newer to it. Um, and we're seeing people hop on the bandwagon now, but she has been there and doing the work and making that work available to folks and not getting compensated for it. So like every time I cite her, I try and remember to throw money at her like PayPal account kind of thing, her Kofi, you know, chip in sort of thing. Um, but what she has done, the knowledge she has made available to the field and the number of times I see people reference her work without citing her, the transformational impact she's had on the field is so outstrips what she's gotten from the field in return. Um, that a thank you note feels insufficient, um, direly insufficient, but warranted nonetheless. That's that's really beautiful. I mean, yeah, acknowledging the work that someone does that is historically underappreciated is is really really meaningful, and I'm I'm sure that they appreciate it, especially all the work you're doing to sort of get their name sort of more out there and supporting them in the ways that you can. So, thank you very much. That's that's really beautiful response um i try (laughs) (laughs) um so that's the last formal question we've got um are there any last thoughts you want to share with anyone who comes across the east on the move project um super awesome totally do it uh if you have an opportunity to be interviewed um i think everybody has a different path and every path has value there is something that you can bring to the world, no matter how small or large scale, no matter what you're doing with it. If you're working in a coffee shop, the interaction with you may be the best moment somebody has all day, or that cup of coffee may be so integral to them having a good morning that you are core and fundamental to them having a good day. You know, if you are writing award-winning music for Oscar-winning movies, you're influencing millions of people and you're bringing joy to their lives. But there is, there is something in all of the jobs out there and all of the paths out there. And it's so, so, so easy to get into the headspace of, but I went to X school. I should be doing more. I should be doing something else. I should be... I should be owning the company. I should be a CEO. I should be on a board. You know, I should be doing all these other things. No, you should be doing what meets your like base pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and bonus points if it brings you joy um, and, and puts a smile on your face. Those are all, that's all valid. That's barbecue. (laughs) 
For other alumni stories, please check out alumni.williams.edu forward slash 200. Thanks for tuning in.